Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. John chapter 4. We started this last week, a new series, True Worshippers. True Worshippers, the Father is seeking to find these true worshipers. My question is, will he find you? Will he find you? We need to understand what the, the significance of this as it relates to our life because it's clear, as you're going to see in Jesus' statement here, it was not possible after the fall to be a true worshiper until Jesus came back, died, and was raised from the dead. So we know worship in that context is not referring to singing a song. The Bible's clear. You can worship anything. You can worship cars. You can worship jobs. You can worship a business. You can worship other people. So that doesn't mean you go around, I hope you don't, singing to your car, singing to your job. You can sing at your job. I'm talking about singing to your job. So understand a worshiper, clearly as we've already showed you on Wednesday night, talked a little bit about, the aspect of what we do in singing to God is an expression of our worship. Just an expression. But worship is far more than a song, and that's revealed to us here in these verses. Now, I don't have time to reread the whole story again. This is where Jesus meets this Samaritan woman by the well at Sychar. She even brings up the fact that clearly in relationship to what she knew about God, her fathers had worshipped on this very location, Jacob and those descendants of his, where he actually uh, dug that well. And in relationship to that, she brings up the point again about the whole issue in relationship to God of an act of worship. Our fathers worshiped here. You say, you Jews say in Jerusalem, one ought to worship. Well, Jesus responds to her and he says in verse 21, if you're there, say amen. amen. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship... Uh, what we know what we worship for salvation of, is of the Jews, 23, but the hour is coming, listen, and now is. So see, it hadn't been available yet until Jesus came. Could not be a true worshiper any longer after the fall until Jesus came. Well, they sang songs to God all through the Old Testament. Well, they could, in a sense, be outwardly a true worshiper in many ways, but they could not do what we know a true worshiper can do as it relates to what we now have the privilege to walk in until Jesus died and was raised from the dead. I'll show you this again. 23, the hour's coming now is when the true worshipers will worship who? Who will they worship? So this is all about the aspect of worshiping the Father. How do we do so? In spirit and truth. Now, don't think you know what all that means. Don't try to just define that for yourself as to what that means. Let's keep learning from the Bible what this means. Notice the next statement, last part of verse 23. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. What's the Father looking, at, looking for? True worshipers. What's He looking for today? True worshipers. What's He going to look for tomorrow? True worshipers. You could have been a true worshiper yesterday and not one today. He's looking for true worshipers. 24, God is spirit. Say, God is spirit. 
And therefore, those who worship him must what? Worship in spirit and truth. Meaning that you worship God. You worship God. So the term worship, if you look this up, and related even to the phrase true worshiper, in the Greek language has three things that are tied to it. What is a true worshiper? They adore God, they magnify God, and they love God to the highest degree. All right? They adore God. I like these definitions. I want to bring it to a culmination of a one-sentence phrase, but I, but I still want you to get the heart of it because it means we adore Him. I don't adore money. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. I don't adore my family. Not above God. No. Doesn't mean I adore my wife, but not above God. You listen? That adoration, God's a jealous God. God says, I'm a jealous God. I will not share you with others. Well, that's not right. Well, he chose to be a jealous God. And I'm going to tell you why. Because what you worship, you will serve. Guess what God doesn't want you serving? Other things, other people, other aspects of what's in this world. He, I guarantee you why he wants you serving him. Two reasons. He wants you to know him and he wants you to live like him. Why is he looking for true worshipers? He wants you to know him. He wants you to live like him. What if I'm not a true worshiper? You won't know him the way you can, and you won't live like him. You still with me? So a true worshiper, three definitions, is one who adores God. Number two, they also do what? Magnify God. So tie that to adore. Meaning what? I magnify God above everything else in my life. A simpler way to say it, guess what comes first? God. Guess what comes first tomorrow? God. Guess what comes first the next day? God. If I magnify God, I don't magnify, I don't take anything of my life, family, possessions, come on, time that I have in relationship to doing other things and magnify that above God. Well, I would go to church, I don't have time. I would go, I would go to the Bible, read the Bible, spend time in the Bible, fellowship with God, but I don't have time. I would spend more time in prayer, but I don't have time. So what you're doing is you're magnifying something above your relationship with God. You're missing out on the heart and the benefit of what God put you here to begin with for. What he put you here for? Fellowship. Guess what God wants to do? He wants to love on you. He wants to show, so pour out his love on you that you are so aware. How do you know, pastor, if you're a true worshiper? Well, it's no different than relationship to somebody in the natural. If I really have a close relationship with somebody in the natural, guess how I'm going to know that's true? Because I'm going to be around them a lot. I'm going to know they're there. I could have a time in my home where I might be sitting in the actual uh, living room or something. Kathy walk in the room, me not even see her, but I just know she's there. So when you get to the point where you adore God above everything else, guess what you're living out every day? An awareness that God is there. If you're aware God's there, guess what you're aware of? True love, true joy, true contentment. You know how many Christians don't walk in this? And they just kind of seem to not care. But see, God created you for one thing. He wants to lavish himself on you. He wants to lavish himself on you. He wants to love on you. He wants to pour himself out on you. What is God? Everything that's good. Book of James says, who there's no variation, no shadow turning. How many of you would like to experience more of all that's good? You're robbing yourself if you don't do what? Become a true worshiper. So they adore God, they magnify God. Number three, they love God to the highest degree. Meaning what? They don't love anything more than they love God. So we can simplify it by saying what? They have a devoted, steadfast love and commitment to their God. The relationship. 
They have a devoted, steadfast, and committed walking, quote-unquote, relationship with their God. It's not about, listen to me, it's not about focusing on serving God. It's about focusing on loving God. It's focusing on being devoted to God, adoring God. Me actually becoming what the Bible calls a true worshiper. If I worship God as a true worshiper, guess what I'm going to do? I have no problem serving him. I have no problem serving him. So God's looking for what? True worshipers. Now, you could have been one at one time, and most Christians probably were when they got born again, but some, sadly, have drifted away. Go to Philippians chapter 3, where we left off on Wednesday night. Philippians chapter 3. So, of one, one person in the Bible, many, that there are, obviously, in the New Testament we could read about, but of one person in the Bible we could read about that was a true worshiper, Paul. Paul had no problem serving God, even when it meant that he would be stoned and left for dead. Excuse me, that was... Yeah, even when it meant he was being stone left, even when it meant that he was being beaten with rods, even when it meant he was beaten with cat of nine tail, even when, it, when being shipwrecked out over in the ocean overnight. Listen, none of these things moved Paul. Why? He was in love with God. He was so aware of God's presence, none of what went on in the natural could affect him. None of that could stop him. None of that could rob him of his joy. Think of how easily Christians today get their joy robbed by the simplest of things in daily life. Can I help you if you're on social media? Don't post about how bad you have it in life. Quit posting about my problems with my kids, my problems with my spouse, and you're going to keep having problems because you're not loving on God. Your focus isn't God. If you become a true worshiper in God, guess what? It don't matter how tough stuff is around you. I don't, if we took all of our lives and looked at every one of them individually, I don't think any of us could still hold a candle to Paul's life. And what Paul went through. But Paul's statement about all those things, none of these things move me. Why? Why did they not move him? Why did none of those things move him? You know why they didn't move him? Because you can't move God. And if you're walking in the fullness of who God is, guess what you can't be? Moved. No, you'll do the moving. <laughs> you'll do the moving stuff may come against you stuff try to challenge you but none of it will move you you'll keep doing the moving why? because you can't move God this all comes back to relationship folks the reason he's looking for true worshipers is because if you adore him if you magnify him and love him to the highest degree guess what you're going to do you're going to walk in a close relationship with God so Paul knew this Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord writing the church of Philippi, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Meaning what? He told them about this before. He's telling them now in this letter again. And guess what? He'd probably tell them another time when he was there. You got to understand, you get tired of hearing the same things taught over and over and over again. Well, we're just looking for something new. Now you're in danger. We don't need anything new apart from the Bible. We can get new revelation from things of the Bible, but we don't need to learn anything new apart from the Bible. God gave us everything we needed. Verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. What in the world, Pastor? Like, when I go down the street, I got to watch out for dogs around? Now, he's referring to people in his day who were born again. They were born again. They were Jews, born again. And they're trying to tell everybody that even though you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you still have to have your child, your male child, circumcised on the eighth day to show you got a covenant with God. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Didn't I get a covenant when Jesus came into my life? Yes. So they are still trying to get them to uphold things from the Old Testament laws and ways that Jesus fulfilled, of which we no longer would have to do, including physical circumcision. Thus the reason for the next verse, verse 3. We are the circumcision. What is circumcision? A cutting away. We're the ones who are the circumcision who worship God how? Tell me how. What's God looking for? True worshipers. What's the sign of a true worshiper? They will worship God what? In spirit. So we are the true worship, the, we are the true circumcision to worship God in the spirit. Watch. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and we have no what? Confidence in the flesh. None at all. We worship Christ Jesus because he made it possible for us. The hour is coming and now is. He made it possible for us to be true worshipers by getting rid of that old sin nature. So in relationship to this, it goes on to say and have no what? Confidence in the flesh. Well, guess what the Jews had? A worship of, most of them, not God. What were they worshiping, including Paul? Before Jesus revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus, what was Paul worshiping? He, he thought he was, if you had asked Paul, he'd have told you, I worship God. But guess what he was worshiping? A law. Because if he would have really worshiped the God of the word that he was up, trying to uphold, guess what he'd have known? He'd have known Jesus was the Messiah. Paul was watching Jesus do what he did before, obviously, Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. Remember, Paul wasn't one of the initial 12. Paul came in after Jesus went to heaven. Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road. What was Paul doing? He was dragging Christians off to have them killed. And he thought he was doing God a favor. Do you know how many people worship what they do and not the God of whom the one is they're supposed to worship? And that leads to actual deception, doing things you never obviously should have been doing. We can still do the same thing. You and I can worship our service, our prayer time. Look how much time I've prayed. Look how much I go to church. On and on and on we go. But that's not what you're supposed to worship. You're supposed to worship the purpose of why you do those things. That's right. Why do you pray? Talk to God. What is prayer? Talking to God. Hallelujah. Well, look how many chapters of the Bible I've read. Most Christians probably wouldn't brag about that today. But, you know, in Paul's day, they would have as the Jews. But guess what? They didn't worship the one who was revealed on those pages. They they worshiped their service, what they were doing, all the acts of what they were doing in upholding the law, of which is not true worship because you're not worshiping God. Amen. Amen. Verse 4, he goes on and says, notice this in relationship to confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so. What would confidence in the flesh be? You're bragging about what you've done. You're bragging about how you've lived. You're bragging about how holy you are, or how, uh, how great of a believer you are, etc., etc., etc. You know what? If apart from Christ, if Jesus hadn't died for us, none of us would have anything to brag about. Because we ain't bragging about us, we're bragging about Jesus. What he's saying, verse 3, you rejoice in Christ Jesus. Have no confidence in the flesh. Notice this, he goes on to say in verse 5, I more so in verse 4 have confidence to actually brag about in the flesh. Verse 5, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, as required, of course, by the law. He goes on to say of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, And concerning the law, the Old Testament law, a Pharisee. In other words, the Pharisees were considered to be of the strictest sect of people of that day to uphold all the law. And on top of that, they added 230 plus more laws. 
Five, concerning zeal, what was I doing? Persecuting the church. He had a zeal, he thought, for God. Little did he know, he found out, my zeal really wasn't for God. My zeal was for the law that God gave. See, even Paul himself didn't realize how deceived he was and what he was worshiping. He really thought he was worshiping God. He wasn't, he was worshiping the law. He was adoring the law. You listening? He was loving to the highest degree the law. Didn't even realize it. Didn't even realize it. But he did after Jesus showed up. He's going he gonna to recognize all that stuff as, as worthless. You listening? Notice this, verse uh, 6. Concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Can the law make you righteous? No. He's talking about from their perspective. Of what they said made them right with God, upholding all the law, I've been made right with God. Question, did the law make anybody right with God? Thank you. Right answer. See, Abraham was considered righteous before the law ever came. How was righteousness obtained? By faith. Wasn't Abraham considered righteous? Yes, he was. Why? He had faith that the Messiah would come. He had faith that God would do what he said he would do in bringing a deliverer. Hallelujah. So not even the law could make you righteous. They thought it could, and thus the reason he states the fact, righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, doing what's right in the sight of the law. Verse 7, but what things, notice, what things were gained to me, were, they are no longer, what things were gained to me, what I thought was so significant, so important about life, so vital to have in my life, so important in my life, what things were gained to me, I have now what? Counted them lost for Christ. Meaning what? I don't want them anymore. Has something significant to be held on to. Why? I want Jesus. I want Christ Jesus. How about you? Verse 8, yet indeed, notice this, I also count what? All things. How many? So let's go beyond the law now. Because he's not just referring to the law now. He's saying all things. Preeminence among the people. That's not in the law, but he sure enjoyed it. All the Pharisees did. Oh, they loved it walking down through the streets, man, in Jerusalem and having all the people look at them and fawn over them. See, today we do it in relationship to all these quote-unquote singers. You know, I'm not talking about you, but just people. You know, some famous singer walks down the road. Everybody, ooh, look, it's so-and-so. Well, they did that with the Pharisees. The Jews did this with the Pharisees. They were their religious rock star of the day. Wow, I wish I could be like Paul. Wished I had a seat in the synagogue like he did. I count all that loss. I could care less about where I sit in the synagogue. I could care less about the people thinking I'm somebody great. You listening? I have counted all things of loss. Why? All things lost. Why? For the excellence of the knowledge. Listen to that phrase, please. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord? The phrase there is to know him. What is the phrase uh, uh, referring here right before that? For the excellence. For the excellence of this knowledge. Excellence means infinite value. You want to know what the most infinite value in life is? To know God, like you know nobody else. To know him, to walk close with him. And to know God the Father, you got to know Jesus because Jesus made it possible. 
Paul's saying, man, did I get a wake-up experience on that road to Damascus. I found out that what I thought was getting me close to God in relationship to the very fact that I thought I worshiped God, I got a wake-up call that day that I wasn't worshiping God. Matter of fact, I was fighting against the very God I thought I was worshiping. All because I didn't realize I was worshiping a law. Paul himself reveals to you the very fact that he loved preeminence as a human. Because in Romans 7, he reveals his actual sin nature as a problem in his life being covetousness, coveting things, position, wealth, nice clothes, etc., etc. And when he got the revelation that that was a violation of the laws of the ten, which he had known for years, guess what happened? He came to the realization that I'm a sinner, just like everybody else. I'm no better than anybody else. I've sinned just like everybody else. But thank God for Jesus. So what did Paul's pursuit in life become? Same that yours and mine should become, a true worshiper. Paul said, there is infinite value in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I count all other things as what? Lost that I can know him. Well, if you count all other things as lost, what does that mean? I adore him. Not my position in the synagogue. Come on, not my family above Jesus. Not my car, not my home, not my clothes, not my money, not my, not my, not my, no, no. No, 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 I adore him. I just didn't realize I didn't adore him. I was adoring this law. I was adoring the attention that I was getting. I was adoring how it made me feel. Doesn't it make you feel good for people to look at you and them actually act like you're somebody big or somebody great? I guarantee you what? Don't shake your head no because the human side of you loves that. You don't believe it? Why do people get so upset when they don't get a like on Facebook? Because your flesh adores that. But if you get your flesh under control and become a true worshiper and starting adoring God, you don't care whether people like you on Facebook or not. That's not what makes you truly experience true uh, joy and true contentment in life. What does? The love that God shares, shows out on you? The love that God pours out on you? Could I get a better amen? So I am after this. I'm counting everything lost for this infinite value of knowing my Lord Jesus. Notice, for whom I have suffered. Verse 8, for whom I have suffered what? The loss of all things. Suffered? I got to suffer? Ooh, I got to suffer? If I am a true worshiper, I got to suffer. Yes, you do. True worshipers are sufferers. I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as what? Rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Now, you know what the word rubbish means? It's talking about in their day, if you look it up in the Greek language, it's the pile where they piled up all of the, all the poop from all the animals, the dunghill. All that I had, a way of accomplishments, and all that I did, it's like manure. There's nothing compared to knowing Jesus. They don't compare. I counted all loss. Again, notice verse 8. I count all these things lost that I have suffered the loss, excuse me, of all things. That I, and count them as rubbish that I may do what? Tell me. That I may gain Christ. Verse 8. Bottom part of verse 8. I got to suffer loss? Yeah. See, if you... If you truly become a true worshiper, guess what your flesh is going to do? Suffer. You're supposed to suffer like Jesus. How did Jesus suffer? In the flesh. Guess what you got to do? Suffer in the flesh. You're not a true worshiper if you don't have any flesh suffering going on. 
Because what's that mean? Your flesh ain't going to get its way. You can't worship God in the flesh. You worship God in the spirit. True worshipers worship God in the spirit. Mean what? Spiritual things come first. Flesh is put under. The flesh will get the benefit of what I choose to actually walk out in the spirit. Because it will help me to be healed. It will help me to keep my flesh in control. It will help me to walk in the blessings of God. But if I let my flesh get its way, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to be a true worshiper. Verse 9, and I want to be found where? In Him. Where do I want to be found? In Him. So to be found in Him, this is a powerful phrase in the, in the context of this Greek language. If you're found in Jesus, you know what it's hard for people to do. I don't mean like in the natural people walk up to you and say, man, you look like Jesus. No. But it means to be one with Him. And you know what they won't see? The old you. You know what they will see? The God in you. The, the, this phrase, to be found in him, means I want to be one with him. I want people to see him, not me. I want people to see him in me, not me. Right. And if they see him in me, guess what they're going to sound like? They're going to sound like this. Why are you so full of joy? Yeah. You not noticing what's going on in your world around you? Have you not pulled up at a gas station lately? <laughs> Pump some gas in your car? Great. You know, our government's the problem. Uh-huh. I have a question for you. Have there been bad governments since the creation of the world when governments were formed? Yes, yes. yes there were. Did God take care of his people? Yes. You're going you're gonna to keep complaining about gas prices or you're going to walk with God? Can God pay for $4 a gallon gas as easy as he can pay for a dollar a gallon of gas? Uh, if he can, he's a small God. Well, I'm not seeing no increase in my life. I just know how that's going to happen. So there you go. You've already limited God because, see, you're just going to do it on the natural of how you see it's going to happen. God's got far more ways to take care of you than you realize. Can I get a better amen? So if I'm walking close with God, guess what? If I'm walking as a true worshiper close with God, everything else is considered what? Rubbish. It don't compare I want to be found in him. Therefore, I'm now, if I'm walking that close with God, I'm now what? The phrase there is, I'm walking as one in him. So people are going to notice it. What's one of the ways I can tell if I'm a true worshiper? What do people say about you? Other people outside the church that don't know God. I mean, come on, people know you. Oh, hey, Wes, how you doing? Good to see you, buddy. Praise the Lord, amen. Yeah, but what about somebody who's never met Wes? What do they say about you? It don't mean everybody's going to speak well of you. Some, some that love darkness rather than light are going to be pushed away from it. But I guarantee you what, people that are going to want to be drawn to that light, they're going to notice there's a light shining from you. Let your light so shine. Well, how do I do that? Walk close with God. Become one with Him. Relationship. Don't, don't, don't focus all this on doing. Focus this on a heart. Focus of doing what? Adoring, magnifying, and loving Him to the highest degree. Where do you do that from? Your spirit, man. Another way to say it is your spirit is dominating. Verse 9, be found in him. I said, I want to be found in him not having my own righteousness, because he couldn't get it, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in what? Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Why? Ten, that I may know him. I want to be found in him. Say it. Like you mean it. Like you're encouraging your pastor that you really mean it. And I want to know him. See, I want to be one with him. I want to be found in him. I want to be found walking through this planet as truly being seen as one different than everybody else in him. And I therefore want to what? Know him. 
intimate, intimate, close relationship. You should know God better than you know anybody else on the planet. If you don't, you're not a true worshiper. If you're a true worshiper, you'll know God better than anybody else. And guess who knows everybody else better than you? God does. He can help you with everybody else. <laughs> I want to know him, that I may know him in the power. Listen to verse 10. And the power of his resurrection. Christians should not be living a powerless life. Many Christians are because they don't know him. If you get to know him, guess where the power's at? It's in you now. By way of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Notice, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, and the what? Fellowship of his sufferings. Now, Paul didn't just mean here. Obviously, he is relating to the fact, I don't want to live out what I want to do. I want to live out what God wants me to do. My flesh will suffer to do that. But Paul meant it even to the degree that I would just as soon be crucified just like he was. These, these believers weren't on a death focus of their life. But they did not have a problem being martyred because they felt they were going the way Jesus went. And for them, that was a true honor. Are you still with me? Yeah. Notice, so I want to be found in him. Say found in him. Amen. Know him. Say know him. Amen. Verse 10, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being what? Conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain then to what? The resurrection from the dead. How do you and I, how do we get conformed to his death? We don't let the flesh rule. And a true worshiper will never let their flesh rule. They'll be conformed to his death in the f- focus of what he did in the natural, to die in the natural. We will die to our natural man, that we will not allow our natural man to rule us or control us. Verse 12, not that I've already attained. I'm not fully there yet, Paul said. Notice this, not that I've already attained, I'm already perfected, fully arrived, but guess what I do? A true worshiper, guess what they do every day? They keep pressing on to get to know God better. They never stop. Now, if you stop, guess what? You're not any longer a true worshiper. <clears throat> but a true worshiper keeps pressing on. That I may do again, and I may do what again? Lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What was it that he was trying to lay hold of? Be found in him and to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Jesus already made it all possible. Yeah. Amen. I want to lay hold of it. Yeah. I want to live that out. Anybody here want to do that? 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing. The I do is italicized. You would do yourself a great favor in this verse to not read them in the verse because they really do not add to the original Greek. They actually take away from it. The statement from the English sounds like this. I do not count to have apprehended. I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do. Well, in actual facts, what he said was, there's this one thing that I've apprehended about this whole process. What is it? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. What was behind him? All that he considered before knowing Jesus important. What he just mentioned before that. Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees. Guess what? I don't look at any of that anymore. None of that's important to me anymore. None of that is my focus anymore. I count all things lost. All of that's put behind me. None of that is now in front of me as a goal that I'm chasing. I'm not trying to become somebody in the natural. I'm not trying to get status. I'm not trying to get position. I'm not trying to gain this or gain that. No, I'm trying to gain one thing, Jesus Christ. All that's put behind me. Jesus is my focus. 
Jesus is my focus. Forgetting what's behind, what do I do? I now do what? I reach forward. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. What was ahead? This continued relationship with God because he just said I haven't fully attained it yet. You listening? I keep going after this. Meaning what? Day in and day out. Guess what Paul was chasing? God. Day in and day out. Guess what Paul was learning to adore? God. Guess what Paul was learning to magnify and love to the highest degree? God. I press toward the goal. Verse 14. I press toward the goal. I press toward the goal. What's the goal? For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that goal? Walking in close relationship with your God. That's the goal. That's the goal. This world and everything about it is designed to keep you from that goal. There's things in this life that aren't bad. There's things in this life that are good. There's things in this life that you have responsibility to do, to care for. Example, family. I have a responsibility. I have a wife. But if I allow that wife to become between me and my relationship with God, I'll never be a true worshiper. I'll never experience the kind of relationship God wants me to have with Him. That will affect my relationship with her. I won't be able to love her the way I can in relationship to how God can love me. You want to know why people could literally take you? I'm serious. Think about this. In the natural, I'm I'm sorry, but I want to get this point across. Think about this. What if our government still did crucifixion today? What if America did crucifixion today? Because the purpose of crucifixion wasn't just to actually take the life of somebody that deserved it in the sense they're really not a good person, but it was to do what? Make them suffer through the whole process. You listening? We still have some states that execute, but man, it's quick. And it's basically painless. But what if we reinstituted crucifixion today? And what if you got accused of something you hadn't done? To the degree now, they have said they found you guilty in a court of law, they're going to crucify you. And you're going to lay there and let these actual government officials drive spikes in your hands, spikes in your knees, excuse, spikes in your feet, crown of thorns, hang you up on that cross. And what are you going to do up on that cross? You bunch of idiots. I didn't deserve this. I did nothing to deserve this. I'm innocent making me suffer like this. That ain't what Jesus said. How in the world can you hang on a cross? That you had no reason to deserve to be there. And look down and say, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How can you walk in that kind of love? Because you walk with God. God is love. I mean, the average husband and wife can't hardly forgive each other. You want to know why? I'm going to tell you your biggest problem. I'm going to tell you why. You're not a true worshiper. Don't get mad. I'm trying to help your marriage. Come on. Well, my kids, they just get to me. You know why? You're not a true worshiper. Paul said all the things he went through, light afflictions. What are you going through? See, love transcends all that, man. Truly love, God himself transcends all that. Either that's true or we're just living in a fantasy land of Christianity. But I don't believe it's a fantasy land. I've watched way too many people in my life and proven through the Bible show this to be true. Why in the world would every disciple be willingly 
uh, unashamed to lay down their life and be martyred for the death of Jesus when most of them said, we're told, if you just renounce this Jesus, you can live. No. You know why? You want to know why? Because they knew him. They're walking in love. They're walking in, in relationship with God. When you walk in a relationship with God, everything changes. Your view in life changes. You listening? You start seeing things through a whole different viewpoint, God's viewpoint. You listening today? So Paul said, I'm not fully there yet. Any of you have arrived yet? What should we be doing? Like him, what should we be doing? Putting everything else behind. Forgetting what's behind. We, we, we tie this and it can be tied to another verse. The principle can be tied to the fact, I, and Paul had to. I got to forget how I lived in the past or what I did in the past. But if you look at the context, Paul's simply saying here, all that that I, where was all that before he came to know Jesus? That was in front of him. That's what was important to him. What's important to you today? What's in front of you that's a priority above God? How many of us have pushed God to the, to the behind position and, and we've got all these other things that are more important to us? Amen. You know what Paul said? This is wrong. This is wrong. How did Paul put all those things that he now counts lost behind him and now focus on Jesus? You ready? So I was looking at all that stuff and guess what I did? I put all that behind me. And now I'm looking totally at one thing, God. It don't mean none of those other things of people are important or not, but not to the degree that that God needs to be. Because if I put those above God, I'm not going to be able to help them the way God can. I'm not going to see the power of his resurrection. What was he doing? He was looking this direction. He was going this direction. And all of a sudden he realized this is not what it's about. It's about relationship with God. It's about adoring God. Come on, the Father. And adoring him and all that he's given me and all that he is and all that he has from my aspect of my relationship. Adoring him, magnifying him, loving him to the highest degree. More than I love all these other things. All of my family, my, my spouse, my wife, my husband. Come on, man. My daughter, my son, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, my job, my money, my car, my, 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 my. He said, no, 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 no. That's all counted lost compared to knowing doesn't mean those things aren't important. But compared to knowing him. So how did he put all those things behind? You ready? Guess what this is called, ladies and gentlemen? Repentance. Changed mind. Changed heart. Changed direction. And what a benefit Paul got. I said, what a benefit Paul got. Became, as far as we would consider New Testament, truly one of the most powerful apostles. He wasn't going for that. He wasn't like, hey man, I'm the great apostle. <sighs> yeah. The great apostle came to town. Y'all need to listen to me. No, what did he say? I'm the least of all apostles. See, he didn't want anything of any kind of that past life of magnifying himself ever again. Ever, ever, and ever again. He just wanted to see, have people see Jesus in him. Any good amens today? 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that prize? What is it? Devoted, intimate relationship with God. You know him better than you know anybody else. You're so aware of his presence every day. You're so overwhelmed by his presence every day. Come on, anybody's experienced the presence of God knows there is nothing better. Name something. 
If you've ever been so aware and overtaken by the presence of God, and I have, name something better in this life. Name one thing better. Because I will guarantee if you can, you haven't been there. Because there is nothing better. What we have as a, as, a, as a focus in most people's lives of a love for one another, most of the time, is not agape. It's phileo. It's conditional. Can I tell you why? Because we haven't gotten to know agape, God. God's agape love, not phileo. When he becomes the priority, he is love. Guess what he does? He loves on you. Guess what flows out of you? Agape love. You still with me? Go with me to Revelation, please, chapter 2. What's God looking for? True worshipers. You know why? He wants you to so know and experience and encounter and walk in the fullness of what true love is all about. Tell me that ain't a good God. I want you to be so overwhelmed with my love that nothing else in your life even matters anymore. (laughs) You look at everything else and go like, what? That's a problem? Not for my God. You kidding me? Come on, man. I'm walking with the God who can't be moved. If I'm walking with a God who can't be moved, I can't be moved. Try me. You can't move me because my God can't be moved. Now, if you're walking in that close of a relationship, this goes, this tags, guys, as God always does with our messages. This tags right along with what we just taught you about hearing God's voice. Because if you're walking that close to God, guess who you hear clearly? God. You know what he's directing you to do. You know what he's directing you not to do. Anybody besides me, I'll put up both hands and I'd put up both feet if I could, but I'd be on my rump on the ground. Anybody besides me ever made a decision that you knew wasn't God? You didn't, you didn't mean to miss God, but it wasn't God, and boy, did it cost you when you made that decision. Anybody besides me? Well, guess what? We don't have to do that, folks. We don't have to do that. If you walk so close with him, you'll never obviously make those decisions on a regular basis again. Can I get a better amen? Revelation 2. So what is the problem then, Pastor, in relationship for a lot of believers as it relates to this? It's called leaving your first love. Revelation 2, verse 1. You know this. These are the seven letters written by Jesus to seven churches in the book of Revelation. Jesus is in heaven. John's on Patmos. By the way, John who walked close with love. I mean, remember of the disciples, who was the one that had his head on his shoulder all the time? John did. Well, did Jesus get upset about that? Obviously he didn't, because if he would have, he said, get away. I think he said, why are the rest of you not over here? Why is John the only one that wants to love on me so much? You listening? John was bold and old for his faith in Jesus. Anybody been bold, bold and old today? Anybody? Yeah. I just want to see anybody. Anybody know? No. And after being bold and old, they couldn't kill him. So what they do? They they ban him to this island. Not like a vacation. Not like going to Hawaii. They ban him to this island because then obviously having all the skin, you know, totally messed with from the you know old being bold, a lot of the skin bold. Guess what's going to happen? You go get around all kinds of different types of disease and infections and things, and they think he's going to die. But he doesn't die. 
Guess what John is doing? Guess what John is doing? After being boiled in oil, the average Christian can't get this. Guess what John was doing on that Isle of Patmos by himself? No preacher. Come on. No, and honestly, you're blessed because you got a pastor, you got a preacher. No church building to go to. Guess what John was doing on the Lord's day? He was worshiping God. You know what he was doing? He was having church. Amen. Well, still the Lord's day. I know I'm by myself in the natural, but I'm not in the spirit. You're here, God. So I'm going to treat this just like if I I was still back with the disciples in the synagogue. So Lord's Day. I give it to you. So in chapter 2, verse 1, as he's getting this letter, here's the first one to the church uh, at uh, Ephesus. You with me? Chapter 2, verse 1, the angel, excuse me, to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Real quick, just for for time's sake and try to kind of catch you up, you don't know this. Because some people have never been taught this. The angel represents the pastor here. Right. You can look this up later. But the angel's the messenger. The one who's there to give the messages to the church. Who's God got to get this letter to? The pastors. Because to deal with the people, how's he going to deal with the people? Through the pastor. He's going to get this letter to the pastors to tell the church what they need to know. As you're going to see here, there's going to be a reference to seven lamps here. These are churches. A lamp here represents a church. A place where God has started up a work in which now his presence is there amongst the people. And there's a messenger who brings the word. So the lamp here is the church. I just don't have time to show you this, but you can study it out later. The lamp, and it will even tell you this in the previous verses, is the church. The messengers, the angel, excuse me here, referring to the actual bad word. It shouldn't say angel. If you look at the center of column reference uh, Bible, it will tell you messenger. Because it's the messenger of the church, the pastor of the church. So we'll say it this way, to the pastor of the church at Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars, the churches. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Guess who holds this church in his hand? God does. Jesus does. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. What does Jesus do? He walks in the midst of these churches. You know what Jesus does in and out of this church? For the Father? You know what he does? He walks in and out of this church at times. You know why? Because the Father's looking for true worshipers. He, he said, he who walks in the midst of the seven gold lamps says, verse 2, so you know this is coming from Jesus. Then Jesus starts talking here. I know your works. I know your works, your labor, your patience, perseverance. Watch this. And that you cannot, what? Bear those who are evil. Any of that bad? None of that's bad. I said, any of that bad? None of that's bad. Notice this, and you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. You've even exposed some of these false apostles that have tried to creep in and take advantage of your church, and you've recognized and found them to be liars. Three, you've persevered. You have patience. You've labored for my namesake. Laboring for his namesake, doing work that obviously is in the line of what we're to do in relationship to our God, and you've not become weary. Verse 4, nevertheless, so up until this point, things were going good. But now, nevertheless, I have this against you. Underline it. You have left your first love. Now, were they still doing all those other things? No, not like they had been. You're going to see that. Not like they had been. What had happened? You've left your first love. If you've left your first love, man, I really, I'm going to do this real quick. I'll just quote it to you, okay? 
I was going to take you there, but for the sake of time, we're kind of running behind today. How many remember Haggai from Wednesday night at 6-6? Six, six? Yeah. Right? Jesus in, in Matthew 9-13 says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sorry, Hosea. Hosea 6-6 six, six is the actual quote there. When you go to Hosea 6-6 six, six and you look it up in the Hebrew, here's what it says. God says, I desire your devoted love for me. Not your sacrifices that I asked you to bring. In other words, it was never the sacrifices that I wanted. I had to have them because of sin to cover your sin. What, did I, what, was, the, what was the heart behind all of it? I wanted your devoted love. And he goes on to say in Hosea 6.6, 6, I've desired that I would know you. That I would know you. That was the whole heart and intent of what God's always been about. I want to know you. It's never changed. I said it's never changed. Here's the problem. He can't do that unless you do what? Want to love on him. Think of it this way. God's got a crush on you. (laughs) Folk your neighbors say, God's got a crush on me, man. Yes, he does. What if you got a crush on somebody in the natural, but they want nothing to do with you? It don't matter how much you love them. It don't matter how much you want to show that love to them, how much you want to reveal that love to them. Guess what? If they don't want to love you back, they'll never experience that love. God's got a crush on you. But unless you come and love on him, guess what you can't experience? The love that he has for you. If he's not the true, if you're not a true worshiper, if he's not who you adore, guess what you're missing out on? His love. His love for you. You still with me? He says, verse 4, you've left your first love. Verse 5, what should we do about that? We'll talk more about this tonight. I'll get on on to it for just a moment here. Remember, therefore, you ought to to highlight, underline, or make a note of this entire verse 5 here. Remember from where you've fallen. And do what? Do what again? So you're obviously adoring the wrong things now. You're magnifying the wrong things. You're loving to the highest degree the wrong things. Right? What should you do? Change your mind. Change your heart. Change the direction. I'm turning around. I'm chasing God. I'm going after God. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first what? So God's not opposed to works. He don't want you to worship him. But if you don't do the proper things necessary of Bible works to develop a love for God, you won't get to know God. And here's why. God's not a natural guy on this earth. I can't, just, I can't just call God up like I could call Wes and say, could you come over to my house today? I want to fellowship with you. Where are you? I want to come fellowship with you in the natural. I can't do that with God. I can't see God. You listening? So because I can't do that with God and I can't see God, I can't treat God the way I treat people. I have to understand that for me to get back into this position of a first love, I got to do some things that does what? In the spirit realm, I got to do some things that gets God back on the first part in the context of, excuse me, the first priority of my life so I can develop that relationship with him because it's not going to be in the natural. It's going to be what? In the spirit. He's a spirit. How's he going to relate to me? Through my spirit man not going to relate to my body. If you adore things, everything that you're going to experience is going to be of the natural. If you adore God, now guess what? You're going to experience him and what he has to flow into your spirit, man, and it'll affect everything else in the natural. 
Say hallelujah if you can. Remember verse 5 from where you've fallen. Repent. Do the first works. Notice this. Or else I will come to you what? Quickly, Quickly means you won't even realize that it's happened till after it's happened. It, it'll happen so fast you just won't even realize that it was going to happen. In other words, it'll already be over and you're going to be going, wow, what happened? I'll come quickly. What will he do? Tell me what he'll do. Tell me out loud, please. He'll remove your lampstand, your lampstand, your lampstand, your lampstand, your lampstand, your lampstand. He'll remove it from where? Where will he remove it from? Where he planted it. Unless you do what? Now, I got to quit here. I want to get into this tonight about the deeds of the Nicolaitans and some other things he talks about. What's the lampstand again? It's the church. Guess what God's not going to do? Do you realize they're going to be Christians? They already have been. I mean, there's churches at one time were great churches, but you know what happened with the people in those churches? They stopped adoring God. God wasn't the focus anymore. You listening? Their lifestyle, their religious actions, what they did, etc. were. And because that became the focus, guess what happened? They lost their first love. And Jesus said, if you, this is to a church in Ephesus, if you lose me as your first love, the church as a whole, guess what I'll do? You ready? You ready? No church anymore. Not like this one. I'll remove the lampstand. How will he remove the lampstand? He'll tell the messenger, you're done here. Time to move on. Do you think God is going to have a messenger called by God, anointed by God, gifted by God, to continue to try to help people who really don't want to know God? No, if God's not the priority, if they don't really want to know God, guess what God's going to do with that anointed messenger? I'm going to take you now. Why would he have put him there to begin with? Because he's never going to not give people the opportunity. Because then you can't get to heaven and say, well, you didn't ever send us a good pastor. We didn't have a good shepherd to help us understand these things. Hey, God, first of all, says you're supposed to find him, number one. And number two, got to realize that if you don't, obviously, it's not about adoring me. Please don't adore me. You're, that's the wrong thing, man. That'd be the same thing as adoring the law. You don't adore the pastor. No, you adore God. But God says if you adore me, guess what you're going to do? Again, if you, this is so powerful. I wish I had about two more hours. I'm serious about that. If you worship God, guess what you're going to make it do? Serve Him. If we don't worship God, guess what we stop doing? Serving Him. If we stop serving Him, guess who has to start doing all the serving? The pastor does. Guess what the pastor winds up doing? He gets pulled out of where he's supposed to be. Word of God and prayer. And so God has to move him on. I got to go find somebody else that really wants to know me and know what I have available for them as a church. Churches have closed down for this many times because people stopped having Jesus as their first love. I'm not telling you that's happening here. Don't look at me like, oh my gosh, what are you leaving, pastor? I'm not saying that. I'm reading the Bible to you. Jesus said, if you, if you, leave, if you lose me as your first love, I'll remove the lampstand. But I'll do it so quickly you won't even realize it until after it's gone. You ever heard this statement? Anybody ever known this? Man, you don't realize what you had till it's gone. I think a lot of people don't realize, and I'm not bragging on me at all, God forbid, what God has done to bless us with leadership, 
great people in this church. Come on. Yes. Great fellowship in this church. Great, uh, great leadership of, of what we have within this church. God has blessed us with some great people and great blessings in this church. And I'll guarantee you what, if all that went away, I have a question for you. How many have been here more than two years? Raise your hand if you've been here more than two years. Has anybody in the time you've been here, I'm just asking honest. Has anybody here in the time that you've been here more than two years, has this helped your life in ways that you didn't know before? Have you gained insight to things you didn't know before? Has it helped you walk in a greater depth of a relationship with God before? It has. That you've been here, because it take, I, the reason I use the two years, I'm not faulting anybody else. I'm just saying you got to be here a while to understand, get the teachings, apply them to your life. Amen. Now that's a credit to you applying what you learned. It doesn't happen just because I preach it. you got to put application to it. Amen. I said amen. So how many think this church is worth coming to? What if it was gone? So let's get off of that subject. Let's focus on the real subject. Is he the one you adore? Are you a true worshiper? Remember what he said? Remember from where you've fallen. So think about this for just a moment in closing. What do you mean remember remember from where you've fallen? Can anybody here remember the day you got born again? Anybody remember what the initial weeks and months were like right after that? How hungry were you for God? Not very. Then I'd say you probably didn't get born again. Are you listening? Because the moment your heart gets made brand new, guess what it wants? Fellowship with God. You still with me? So I can remember right after getting born again, I was not churched. I was not raised churched. I didn't have a Bible. I didn't understand the Bible. I'd never been taught the Bible in a way you could understand it. What little bit of church I had growing up was very little of a, Catholic in its background, they taught in Latin, so I didn't even know what they were saying. But you know what happened the day after I got born again within the first two weeks? I got to go find a Bible. Amen. I want to know this God. Amen. I'm so excited, man. I can sense there's something changed, man. There's something different. And all of a sudden, I started noticing differences in my life where I would cuss freely and it didn't bother me. It's bothering me. Were you still cussing? Oh, yeah. I still had the old nature to deal with just like you. Right. The guy that got fixed was the guy on the inside. And all of a sudden, I'm like, why is that bothering me? Boy, I sure want to know God, though. I was hungry to know God. You know what nobody had to do to me, Rip? Nobody had to drag me to church. Isn't that something? I got born again. Nobody had said, we're dragging you to church. Bless God, you're going to church. You got born again, now you're going to church. No, I'm like, I got to find a church. I need to know God. What did he tell them when they left their first love? Remember. Think back from where you've fallen from. What was it like then? How excited were you to go to church? Oh, man, couldn't wait. How excited were you to find a Bible and start learning to read it? Oh, man, I couldn't. I, I can't even tell you how excited I got every time I picked up the Bible, learned something new. Man, I'd start shouting. Get it. I was like, wow, that's cool. I never did that. I want more. I want more. Guess what I was searching for? Wasn't searching for worldly stuff. I was searching for somebody to teach me the Bible. You listening? Yes. Come on, Kathy's told you, my dates with Kathy, I would come home drive from driving a rock truck. She would meet me at my house because of the hours I worked, man. I mean, you worked on an average of 12 to 16 hours a day in a rock truck. Time I got home, she would meet me at the house, and guess what we did for, for our actual dates? For most of our time that we actually dated together. I mean, we did some other things, don't, don't misunderstand me. But get average, just work date, regular work date. You know what we did? I'll tell you what we did. You know how much I adored God? When I came home, first thing I did, TV dinners. Popped a TV dinner in the 
in the, in, the, in the stove, fired the stove up, got it heated up, you know. And guess what I recorded every day? Teaching. Amen. Teaching from the Believer's Voice of Victory, teaching me about redemption in Christ. Yes. And I'd rewind old VCR. You know what VCRs cost back then? They weren't 50, 20, 50 bucks like today. You listening? I mean to get a decent one that you could set a timer on while you're gone. You guys are so blessed today and you don't even realize it, man. And, and I'm serious, man. Oh, you can just bring it up on your phone. You kidding me? I mean, the first time I got one, said it, you know, it was wrong. Oh, man. I go back, work on it again, try to get the date right, get the time right and all that. So it would automatically come on and record what I wanted on the TV. That, that VCR cost me 350 bucks, folks. I was so hungry for God, the $350 didn't matter. I want to learn. I want to grow. Can you remember back to when you first got born again? How vital and how important were those things to you? And I'm going to tell you why. Not because the thing was what you were worshiping. Because of the God you were worshiping. You weren't worshiping the teacher. You weren't worshiping the church service. You just wanted to know this God. Amen. Remember from where you've fallen. Do what? Turn around. Go back. Do the first works. Meaning what? Go back and start listening to teaching again like you used to. Yep. Amen. Good. I don't have time. Make time. Then God's not your first love. People tell me this. I don't have time for God. Are you kidding me? I worked a 12 to 16 hour a day job driving a rock truck. I was gone almost every weekend to one or, one or more rodeos in a weekend and was dating Kathy and wound up getting married and wound up starting a church. And you don't have time? I wasn't just the pastor, folks, when I started the church. You know what I was? I was the janitor. I was the repairman. Guess what? I was the greeter. I was the usher. I was the praise and worship leader. I prepared all this stuff. But I didn't care. didn't matter. You know why? I was in love with Jesus. I wasn't worshiping the process of what I was doing. I was so excited to get to, to be able to have a relationship with God. I just wanted to serve Him. I just wanted to honor Him. Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.